0: Welcome to the Lend Academy podcast, episode number 284. This is your host, Peter Renton, founder of Lend Academy and co founder of Lended Fintech. Today's episode is sponsored by Lended Fintech USA, the world's largest fintech event dedicated to lending and digital banking. Lendit's flagship event is happening online this year on April 27-29, with the possibility of an exclusive VIP in-person component. The verdict is in on Lendit's 2020 event that was held online, with many people saying it was the best virtual event they had ever attended. Lendit is setting the bar even higher in 2021. So join the fintech community at Lendit Fintech USA, where you will meet the people who matter, learn from the experts, and get business done. Sign up today at Lendit.com USA. Today on the show, I am delighted to welcome Ram Palaniyappan. He is the CEO and founder of Earnin. Now, Earnin is, is a really interesting company. They've got a unique model that Ram gets into in, in some depth. They basically offer an earned wage access product for people who want to access money that is actually rightfully theirs in many ways, access the money before payday. So they, we talk about the types of uh, the types of people, the types of use cases we have, how the how the model works, and then their very uh, interesting way of generating revenue, which is all based primarily primarily based on tipping. And so that is uh, that that's a really interesting conversation in and of itself. And Ram also uh, gets into what this population really needs and how you know companies like Unin are really becoming their sort of core financial product. It was a fascinating interview, hope you enjoy the show. Welcome to the podcast, Ram. Thank you, it's great to be here. Okay, so I would like to get this thing started by giving the listeners a little bit of context and some background, and you've had, uh, you've had quite an interesting career. Why don't you give us uh, some of the highlights of what you've done before EARNN? Sure. So prior
1: to EARNN, I was running another payments company I was also trying to help people who were in the same customer segment. Mm -hmm. So that's helped me a lot with one, like understanding what our customers go through, how difficult their life is, how expensive it is to be poor. It's also given me a really good understanding of how our payment system works and how the banking system works. Mm -hmm. I think all of those um, have really informed
0: like the work that I do right now. Right. Okay. So then, and did you have, was there something specific that, uh, th- what was the idea that kind of led to the founding of Ernan? So I never really intended, I didn't really like set out
1: to start a company. What happened when I was at my previous company was I noticed that some of my employees were running into overdraft fees and payday loans. Mm-hmm. And that didn't make any sense to me because I thought I was paying everybody well. Right. I spoke with one of them. The problem she had was that she needed money the next day couldn't wait till the following Friday. From my point of view, she'd already worked for half of the week. And so we already owed her money for the work that she had done. And I tried to get our payroll system to pay her um, and I couldn't. <laughs> and so I was like, not bad. I'll just give you the money now. And when ADP finally gets around to doing its stuff, you just pay me back. And so I ended up doing that for a handful of my employees for several years.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And then I left the company and I moved over here to um, the Bay Area and the people who I was doing this for, they wanted to know if I'd still do it for them. And I didn't mind doing it. These are people who I'd see in the office every day. And so I continued to do it for them. And initially started off with them sending me messages on instant messenger. And at some point, I realized that that was not going to work very efficiently. So I built a really simple web form. And then I just had them fill out the form whenever they needed money. And then what happened was people who I didn't know tried to use that web page. <laughs> like, right. okay, this is more interesting. Let me see if I can do it for them as well. And what I realized was that when someone has access to their pay when they need it, their life is much simpler. Mm-hmm. They're paying all their bills on time, no more late fees on bills, no more overdraft fees, no more payday loans. And that's when I realized that if I didn't try to make this into a product, I'd always feel bad about myself. Right. And so that's how it started. Um, and like, clearly the need was not just the people who I knew. There's a lot of people who um, can't wait till payday. And the whole concept of paydays is really fascinating. Still a few centuries ago, people were paid every day, right? It was during the industrial revolution that we moved to where we would pay people either two weeks or on a monthly cycle. And if you think about it as an employee, you'd rather get your pay two weeks before you work. Your employer would rather pay you two weeks after you work. And the fact that today, like every employer pays people two weeks after they work, we don't even question it. Mm -hmm. shows you like how much that balance of power has shifted away from people to companies.
0: Right. Right. That makes sense. And so, and like, I guess, you know, you've really focused on a, on a, on a certain population here, maybe um, actually, maybe before we get into that, why don't you just tell us how your product works exactly today? I and mean, obviously you've, you've already broadly sketched it out, but maybe just talk about exactly how the, you know, the earn wage access piece uh, works.
1: Yeah, sure. I mean, so we have an app and the app is available on Android and iOS and it does a number of different things. One of the products that we offer is what's called Earned Wage Access. And the way that works is once you set up an account, you'll, you'll be able to see how much you've earned in real time. So as you work, you can see how much you've accrued in earnings already. And then if you want that, you can transfer it into your checking account. And the money shows up in your checking account almost instantly. And then you would spend that with your bank's debit card. There's no fees, no interest. We let our members pay us what they think is fair. Um, But that's essentially how it works. It basically takes you out of having to wait for your payday and lets you access your pay whatever you need it.
0: Okay. So then, so how do people set it up? Do they just, do you, do you verify that what they're saying is actually, do you you go into their bank account to make sure they're like, they're saying, Hey, I own $60,000 a year, but actually they're earning really less than that. How do you verify that?
1: Yeah, so the back account is one part. The other piece that we have built into the app is very much like a time and attendance system. Mm-hmm. And what that lets us do is know how much somebody has worked every day. And so it's, it's very similar to a, a modern time and attendance system like T-Sheets from Intuit. We have similar technology. We can basically construct some, what someone has earned since their last payday as well.
0: Okay. We
1: to basically construct what we call the earnings account.
0: Right, right, and so then they they're on. They go into their app, and they get a real time view on how, how much they've actually earned. I mean, it's a receivable right now. It's not, it's not a, it's not cash, but they, um, you know, or it's always a payable to them. They can go in and then what? What? What can they take out of that? I mean, can, they can't take it all out, I imagine. What are some of the parameters?
1: Yeah, and so I think you got to correct that. They can see what they were until that point in time. And that's actually the primary use case of, of the apps people want to know what they've earned right now till mm-hmm. this point. that helps them budget as well um, and we get over twenty five app opens a month is because people come in to just see how much they've earned till that point in time and then we let them take out a part of that um, we limit it to hundred dollars a day mm-hmm. and uh, typically it's also limited to about five hundred dollars a pay cycle
0: okay okay and then what so what what is the primary use case i mean is it uh I mean, people—is it—is it groceries? Is it rent? I mean, what what are what are the use cases that people are, are doing this for?
1: Yeah, so the biggest one is food and groceries. Right. People also use it to buy gas, using it to pay their bills. Utility bills are a big one. Mm-hmm. Using it for rent, and then to avoid overdraft fees.
0: Right. Right. Okay. And if, and do you see that? I mean, how much do you notice that? Because if you've, got, if you've got insight into the bank account, you can probably get a pretty good idea. I mean, do you notice overdraft fees going down, payday loan applications going down, that sort of thing? Completely, yes. So you,
1: you, you see overdraft fees going down. Um, our customers, if they didn't have our app, they would incur about four more overdrafts a month. They also tell us that their late fees have come down.
0: Mm-hmm. Um,
1: they tell us that the late fees have come down by about $55 per month. And so they're paying their bills on time. The other really interesting impact that we see is attendance goes up. Right. Uh, And when attendance goes up, your income goes up as well. And so we're seeing that once someone starts using our app, attendance goes up, income goes up, and it goes up by about 8% over six months.
0: That's interesting.
1: It's amazing. And one of the mechanics by which that happens, which I thought is really interesting, is around gas. Mm -hmm. So. Our members typically buy gas five or ten dollars at a time. Right. They can't afford to lock up $50 in their gas tank. Mm-hmm. Now, if something happens before payday and they can't buy gas and they would have missed work. Mm-hmm. But now with the app they can access their previous days earnings, buy gas and then go into work and they don't miss work.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's that's really interesting. So then what, um, I mean, this is earned wage access. I was on your website just before we, uh, we came on here and you have, you you got some interesting other, other products. So why don't you tell us a little bit about sort of what, what, like what you're trying to do holistically just beyond just the earned wage access product. So
1: what we're trying to do is build new types of financial products that get people to a better place financially. Mm-hmm. And so earned wage access is one of those. And we're seeing a huge amount of savings um, come from that. We also have a product called Balance Shield, which lets you set up um, alerts on your checking account so that when you're going to run low, you know when you can either pull back on your spend or you can access your earnings to avoid overdraft fees. We have another product, Tip Yourself, that helps you put money aside. Um, and it, You can either put money aside to cover rent or if you want to plan for something longer, you can set up some kind of goal on, on to hit. And we see that about 85% of our members are using that service, actually setting up recurring automatic movements into um, to keep money aside for their for their future. Um, we also have another product called Cashback Rewards. Mm-hmm. This is very similar to Cashback Rewards on a credit card. So if you have a good credit card, you get 2% cashback on your purchases. And so that's like a subsidy on your purchases. Now, the ones who really need the subsidy are my members, and they don't get those credit cards. Right. Um, so what we've done is we've delinked the reward piece from the card piece and so you can continue to spend with your bank's card um, and we have a network of merchants if you spend any one of those they would give you cash back and the cashback sits in the app and whenever you want you can pull
0: it down into your own account interesting so you're signing up merchants to just provide your population um with a special deal i mean that's that, that's super interesting i mean like how how is this is this fairly new i mean how how big is this program so
1: it's recent in that it's um, it's, it's. I would say like our next generation of products. After the first one that we started off with was the earned wage access, and we have a good, a good part of our members actually use that. It's not going to be on every transaction because it's for a certain set of merchants, but most of them are enrolled in this and when they go to those merchants and
0: they get the the, the reward back. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Right, interesting. And I remember I went back and uh and um watched your your session at, at Lyndit FinTech USA last year and you talked about community and it was a really interesting uh, interesting point that you made. And you would you gave these great stories about different, you know, I think it was a plumber in Florida or somewhere where you know they're um helping each other out, of just just members of the earnin community helping other members out. And I mean, this is this is uh, this is something I think many uh, many fintech companies would love to emulate. I mean, how have you kind of fostered that that sense of community?
1: Yeah. So it starts out with one of our core beliefs, which is I think like society would be much better if we were all helping each other instead of everyone being isolated and independent. We we're trying to build to that future, and we try to build to that future through our product where we have many peer-to-peer interactions. We let our members help each other. We let them send messages to each other. And we're seeing that behavior shift into other areas, like what you said with the, the plumber. And we've seen a lot of this happen, particularly since COVID, where our members are helping each other find government assistance, get on to unemployment, understand what's happening with the stimulus checks. So we're seeing a lot of like people helping each other out. And particularly in the beginning of COVID, we saw people... When people lost their jobs, it was a sudden shock. They were sometimes struggling to find meals. And you could see the community like buying Uber Eats for, for another family. And, like there was a lot of this kind of like people helping people happen. And the, the plumber, Richard, his story was also, is also really interesting. He had much less work to do during COVID. And one of our other members had a sink that was flooding, was fairly close to where he was. And so he went and helped her. And then she thanked him on one of our... Um, Forums, And then there was another lady from Georgia who said her sink was also clogging and she was at home with her daughter and her grandson. And know if there was anybody close to her who could help. And Richard offered to go down to Georgia to help. (laughs) And so a number of our members pulled together to pay for his gas. He went over to Georgia. He needed to get some parts and so he had to stay overnight. Four other Odin members pulled together to pay for his hotel room.
0: And then he fixed a sink the next day and came back. Right. That, is, uh, that is a great story, and it really, it's it, it sort of, to me, it gets to the real heart of, uh, of, of fintech and what, and what the promise is. I mean, the promise is obviously you know, bringing people together who would never have met, never have uh, you know, any reason to, to know each other, but uh, through the sort of the connection through their phone most likely. Yeah.
1: It's also, I think, interesting to like recognize the challenges that come with that because we've never previously in financial services contemplated people helping each other Right, of How every product is defined, whether it's in regulations or otherwise, it's always been institution to individual. Mm-hmm. It doesn't contemplate people interacting with each other and like making a product work because of those peer-to-peer interactions. Right. Like the concept of people helping people is not really,
0: um, we haven't built products around people helping other people. Right. Or regulations for that matter. We haven't really yeah. imagined a whole world like that. That's, uh, that's super interesting. So then, and maybe I'd love to get a sense of the, the size you guys are. Like how many members do you have right now?
1: Yeah. So we have a few million members. We have employees. So they're, all of our members are employees of some company.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: We have employees from about 350,000 different companies. About 100,000 of those companies are, um, have less than 25 employees. Right. So we have quite a few small business employees as well who are using the product. Many who work for the government, so think of TSA agents. We have lots of teachers who use it. But lots of people who work in, like, grocery retail call centers. Mm-hmm. There's people who are, who are working hard, but are bearing the brunt of the pay cycle. Right,
0: right. And so, so, how important is it for you to have this business model that's focused around tipping rather than you know charging a fee, as in most most businesses charge fees. You you know you can sort of. You offer you can offer this for free to your to your members. Like is that is that like a really a core a core piece of, of who you are as a company? Yeah.
1: So I think if you look at financial services, it's always been like all of the control has been very centralized. Mm-hmm. Like the bank decides how your products are and you passively have to accept that. Your employer decides what your pay cycle is, you have to accept that. And our customers, our members are always at the losing side of anything financial. Right. And we're trying to build it in a different way where rather than being passive recipients of the product, they're active participants in the product. Mm-hmm. And so that's what we're trying to do. And I mean, if you think of it, like a bank charges $35 for a overdraft fee, that erodes trust. Right. With what we're doing where we're letting our members choose to pay whatever they think is fair, that actually builds trust. Mm-hmm. And so it's a very different type of product when you let the when you actually put the customer in charge instead of dictating to the customer what happens.
0: Right. right. And what what percentage of your customers pay something, even if it's a very small amount? So most
1: people pay something. They may not pay every time. Right. And it depends on what the situation is. But at some
0: point in time, most people pay something to support to support the service. Right, right. And so, and then are you, I mean, this is, is this your only source of revenue? Is the, is the tipping really the only the only way you because uh, you, you, know, you obviously have you have employees you've got a, bills to pay you need to you need to create a sustainable business I mean is that is that are there other sources of revenue? Tipping is the main way in which we sustain ourselves.
1: There's a little bit that comes out from the cashback offers where the merchants will
0: sometimes give us a little bit as well. Right. Right. Okay. But so, and you, and obviously, I mean, you've been doing this now for for many years and you, and so the tipping, I mean, you, you've, you've got to, I mean, it's, 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 it's so funny or not funny. It's antithetical, I guess, to most uh, businesses where you, you, you know, it's a fee for a service and that's how businesses operated for, you know, for millennia, but you're, you're sort of turning that model. I mean, what, like, do you think this is uh is the tipping model something that you think can work in across, across businesses?
1: I think it depends on the type of business. If you look at what we're doing, we're, I mean, we're dealing with money that is digital. Mm-hmm. And it's much easier to do this with a digital product than with a non-digital product. Sure. And one of the pieces that's really important to make this work is to keep your costs really low. Right. Because everyone is going to look at what their alternatives are. And then they'll pay you based on that. They're not going to pay you more than what it costs somewhere else. Mm -hmm. It's almost by definition, this will monetize lower than all of the other alternatives that somebody has. So the key really is to make sure that you can run this really efficiently. Mm. And that's where our ability to understand someone's earnings actually helps us a lot. Mm -hmm. You want to do this the way everybody else does, which is let's hope that it will all work out. And because it may not always work out, they're going to have much higher amount of cost. And that's why it becomes expensive. So I think like our technology gives a huge advantage which then lets us do this in a in this
0: type of model. And I'm also wondering if you get more of a positive selection on uh, like for under like you have got to underwrite these people right because you're not going to I mean I imagine you know, and you maybe you tell me but I imagine you don't do this to every single person who requests it but how I mean the fact that you've got a tipping model how does that how does that sort of impact the way you you underwrite the people who are coming on your platform? I don't, there's no connection between the tipping model and how we, and the underwriting,
1: the underwriting essentially is figuring out if somebody is working and earning money or not. Okay. But what it does though, is we are always the best option for anyone. (laughs) Right. When they're prioritizing where they want to like be in good standing, we're going to be on the
0: top of that list because all of the other alternatives are not favorable to them. Right. Right. Okay. And so, and so then are they, I mean, do you have, cause you're, you're taking on risk, right? You're like someone, you're taking on some risk because you don't know whether they could get fired from their job um, the next day and not be able to pay you back. I mean, do you have some stats on, on kind of how much, what, what the losses are that uh, you've gone through over, over the course of your operation?
1: Yeah. So we do have some risk and some loss and, and the one we should describe where someone loses their job, the risk really is that we did not correctly recognize that they lost their job. Mm. Because we're, we're trying to figure out your earnings continuously during the day. And if you stopped working, we should be able to pick that up. And so it's really very, very minimal. And in terms of like scale, some of our large costs really are things like moving money up and down. So we try to we move money inst- almost instantly into people's bank accounts.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: We send that over like the network rail. So we use the ATM networks and we send it backwards and those have costs. And we cover all those transaction costs. Right. We also have access to capital that we pay for in order to be able to fund these. Mm -hmm. Um, So we have those costs and actually those costs are quite material. And the risk piece, while it does exist, it's far lower than what you would expect if you would look at alternatives that our customers would go to.
0: Right. Right. For sure. Okay. I get it. So then I'd, I'd love to get some sense of, of, of how this, this model that you've created, I know there's, you're not the only one doing tipping, obviously there are others that, uh, that have a, a similar approach, but you see you're certainly, that seems to be the largest in do it, doing this. Can you comment on, I, I think the one question I've always had is, you know, are you a profitable business? I mean, is this, a, is this really something that has long-term potential as a business model?
1: Yeah. So it's an it's an interesting question when I was starting this it was a choice that I had to make was do I hire structures as a for-profit or a nonprofit? Right. And having like seen what happened in 2008 2009 which was the previous crisis then where the same customer base needed a lot of help what I found is that, that that was when the nonprofits could not raise money. It was when people needed help the most was right. when it was most difficult to raise money. Mm-hmm. So it's not like the greatest way to help people who are going to be impacted during a downturn. And so to me, the way to make this work was structured as a for-profit. Right. And I think like what we're seeing is that for many people, we're becoming the default financial app. There's not that many financial apps that you open 25 times a month.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: In fact, it's, it's really interesting in that if you would look at your bank account most days you'll see what you're spending and only twice a month you'll see money coming in. Right. Right. So like you get the good news twice a month, <laughs> you the bad news every day. And what we're trying to do is like show you what, how much progress you're making every day. Right. To, to me, the other piece that's fascinating with this is as a business, I know what my revenue is every day. Every day I know what my revenue is, but only at the end of the month do I know what my costs are. Right. Whereas as an individual, I know my costs continuously and I get my revenue um, at the end of the period. hmm it's just interesting how the world is just so different for a business as compared to an individual. But what we're really doing is building what I think is a much better way for people to manage their money. They're budgeting much better when you're able to synchronize your income and your expenses. Your life is much smoother.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, just think of what happens on payday. Otherwise, you get a. And this is there's lots of studies on this, but when you see money coming in a large amount, on payday you feel like you have a license to spend. Yeah, and then you're. Discretionary expenses are what goes up, Mm -hmm. but if you were to get money more continuously and you can synchronize it with your income, you actually get much better at managing your money. It's a little bit like moving from batch manufacturing to Mm -hmm. just-in-time. Manufacturing figured this out 60 years ago, but when they were doing batch manufacturing, it was a lot of wastage because you would manufacture in batch, and if the quality wasn't good, you'd throw things out, but when you move to just-in-time, everything worked much better.
0: Right, right. So that brings to another another question here, because I mean, I think I, I, I'd love to get your perspective. Is it is it inevitable? Do you think that that the way that people are paid, particularly W two type wage earners, it just feels like to me the 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 you know the weekly, bi monthly, monthly pay cycle, whatever it is, it's it's an anachronism from when we got paid in cash and when things were manual. Now it's just all technology, and I mean ADP could pay every one of their people every day if they so chose. It's just it's just a tech, it's just a software issue that's actually pretty trivial when you when you think about it. So, is I mean, is this what, what's your vision for the future of, of of people of wage earners? Will we, you know, in twenty five years time, or twenty or ten years time, will everyone just get paid whenever they want?
1: Yes, I don't know if the time is that far out. Okay, I think I think we'll be able to get. Well, people will get used to getting their pay whenever they need it before that. I think we're going to question at some point, like, how did we ever accept right. that companies can hold our pay for two weeks?
0: Yeah, because, I mean, they, that you need the money more than they need the money most of the time anyway. But, exactly, uh, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, so where does that leave Ernan if, if ADP switches to… Daily pay or, or you know, switches to on-demand payment, which is like, which is probably more you know more what you what you're offering.
1: Yeah, so we already do on-demand pay, and
0: mm-hmm. so I think like that might be the way in which employees finally get to
1: getting their pay whenever they want.
0: Right, right. But so so if ADP does it, what where does that leave Ernan? Well, we're already doing it,
1: and so like we're already having customers that are doing it. ADP has to move to do this, right? Catch up to where we are. But I think like ADP will will be another player in this space, and whichever product the consumer likes the most should be what they use.
0: Okay, so you just feel like it's yeah, I see what you mean. So because obviously not not everyone's using ADP. I mean, you talk about there was a lot of a lot of your members are for twenty five employees or less, and many of which are just using you know one of the, like a, a QuickBooks or something. So um, and it should be the employee's choice, right? Um,
1: and like, we're trying to do things from the employee's point of view, like we're building ways for them to put money aside. We're trying to help mm-hmm. them get um, some money back from the merchants where they shop. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I think eventually this moves to like, what is a consumer first approach? And quite often, the more traditional payroll companies, we're looking at what their customer, who is the employer, not the employee wants. Mm-hmm.
0: And what we try to do is build what the employee wants. Right, right. I got it. So then, I want to go back to something else you you said. You you said that um, just a few minutes ago that you know you talked about becoming a nonprofit because when times are tough, um, you you know they find it hard. Nonprofits find it hard to raise money. You know times have been tough for the last you know ten months. I mean, I know that for a lot probably a lot of your lot of your community, you know, they had they had stimulus checks to fall back on. But I'd love to get a sense of. Like usage of your app, did it did it go up, did it go down? What was the what happened during the pandemic?
1: So the two things that we saw during the pandemic was there was a huge loss in jobs. Mm-hmm. And we've seen some amount of recovery after that, but pretty uneven recovery. And then we saw bank balances go up in April with the first stimulus check. And we've actually been following how the bank balances have been trending. And then we saw it again go up a little bit with the last stimulus check for 600. And we contribute our data to a group out of Harvard called Opportunity Insights. They've been working with the Gates Foundation, consulting with various governments as well as the incoming administration Mm -hmm. uh, on policy response um, because we have almost real-time insight into what's happening in people's financial lives.
0: Right, right, for sure, for sure. And then we're almost out of time, but a couple more questions I want to get to. How how are you getting the word out? And are you doing? I mean, are you working purely through the consumer, or are you also going into uh, into businesses? Because obviously, there's two. It's a two pronged approach you could take.
1: Yeah. Um, so our biggest source of new customers is our current customers telling their friends and family about it. Mm-hmm. We also do have employers who tell their employees about it, and some of that is through uh, where we're partnering with the employer. And helping them with the communication. Mm-hmm. Some of that is much more informal where we know in many, many stores, um, people who work at the store will go to the manager to ask for an advance. The manager knows about our app and just tells them to download the app and use it. And so some of it is without us working officially with the employer and some of it is where we have a relationship with the employer.
0: Right. Right. Okay. Interesting. Okay. So then uh, last question then, um, as like, what are you, there's a lot of ways you can take this. Obviously, you've got a very engaged customer base. You could, you know, you talk about sort of their, you're becoming the primary financial app that they use. I mean, what's what's next for Ernan? What are you, where are you taking this?
1: So I think we're continuing to build new types of products. I think we're really proud of what we've been able to do already. The impact that we've had, whether it's on wages or people saving money. Another really interesting stat is that about half of our members who could not previously afford $400 in emergency are now able to. That's great. So, Like you hear about the $400 problem. When people start using our app, that solves quite a bit of that. But there's still so much work to be done. Like the income gap is huge. The wealth gap is huge. Um, and many of these are because of the way the system works. And so we're still like working on products that will help address these. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm it's very expensive to be porous because the way the system works against them. And there's
0: just so many problems that still need to be solved. Right. Right. Yeah. No, that's very true. Well, well, it's, it's a noble mission and uh, you know, really appreciate you coming on the show today, Ram and uh, best of luck to you. Thank you. Okay. See ya. I just want to go back to what Ram said a minute or two ago, which I, I find just really fascinating that he said around a half of the members that had trouble with a $400 emergency expense, now now are okay with that, and I think that to me, that alone, I feel like is a reason to get excited about what uh, what fintech is bringing here. I mean, we've had he, he said something several times, and it's a cliche almost that it's expensive to be poor, but it's also true that these people pay so many more, so much more in fees. Uh, they, they struggle to to you know to avoid late fees and overdraft fees. And if you provide them with a better product that is, you know, more in tune with their needs, most of these people have money coming in. They're they're responsible people, but they, for whatever reason, the emergency expense, they they find it hard to to avoid these late fees. But if you can have a product like this where the money that is owed to them is is able to be accessed. That's why I'm, it's one of the reasons why I'm so bullish on earned wage access. I think it's a great product because I want to see payday lenders go out of business, the whole industry go out of business, not because of legislation or anything like that, because demand is no longer there, because people are using better products. And that's what I think earned wage access is. Anyway, on that note, I will sign off. I very much appreciate you listening and I'll catch you next time. Bye. Today's episode was sponsored by Lendit Fintech USA, the world's largest fintech event dedicated to lending and digital banking. Lendit's flagship event is happening online this year on April 27 to 29, with the possibility of an exclusive VIP in-person component. The verdict is in on Lendit's 2020 event that was held online, with many people saying it was the best virtual event they had ever attended. Lendit is setting the bar even higher in 2021. So join the fintech community at Lendit Fintech USA, where you will meet the people who matter, learn from the experts and get business done. Sign up today at lendit.com USA.